Hi, everybody, and welcome to Unified, a podcast feed from First Church Belmont Unitarian Universalist. We'll be sharing sermons and stories, especially thematic content made new every week. We're so glad you're here, and for more information about who we are and opportunities to grow and deepen, swing by the church on Sundays or check out our website at uubelmont.org. And for now, enjoy this new content. In a time of conflict and war, practice peace. In all times and in all ways, practice peace. Many years ago, before I had a cell phone, I ran across a stack of cards next to a public telephone in Harvard Square. The card featured the words of a familiar prayer, which begins like this. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. There was a little cartoon of a happy monk at the bottom and the message brought to you by the Franciscans with a phone number. (laughs) I never called the number, but I did tuck the card into my pocket and I stuck it on a court board in my drafty, rent-controlled Cambridge apartment. What does it mean to practice peace in a time of war? What does it mean to honor veterans even as we advocate against militarism? World War I, the war to end all wars, ended in armistice on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918. Armistice Day was established a year later to honor those who had died and set a new course toward lasting peace. World War II broke out just a few decades later. Armistice Day was renamed Veterans Day in 1954 and it honors those living and dead who have served in the military in defense of democracy and human rights. It celebrates veterans like some of you perhaps. Are are there any veterans here today? Thank you. And like members, sorry? Thank you. Um, It honors veterans like some of you And like members of my family, and like members of your family, I imagine also. There's poetry in the confluence of these two observations, though they seem at odds. It was Douglas MacArthur, an army general who served in both world wars, who said, the soldier above all others prays for peace, for it is he who must suffer and bear the deepest scars and wounds of war. Chris and I served South Church in Portsmouth, New Hampshire for eight years, from 2011 to 2019. In August of 2012, my cousin Louis Torres was struck by an IED, an improvised explosive device, while on duty, on active duty in Kandahar province in Afghanistan. This was a war against which I had protested before it began, and these were the grinding years of the war when it seemed like it would never end. He was 23. I never met Lewis, but I grew up with his mother. 
When I heard the no news, I printed a photo of him that I found on the internet, and I tucked it on a little shelf inside the pulpit with a heart-shaped stone. I kept it there to remind me why we in the church work for peace and to remind us that the ministry we offer must be accountable to his experience, to his life, and to his death. This photo wasn't framed. It was just a printout tucked near the typical detritus of a pulpit, a glass of water very often, tissues, matches, and discarded printouts of old sermons and prayers. Sometimes a well-meaning member of the congregation would recycle the photo when they were tidying up, and I would dutifully reprint it and put it back in the pulpit. In a time of conflict, we practice peace by remembering those in harm's way. We practice peace by not forgetting. I invite us now to pause for a minute of silence to hold in meditation or prayer all those who find themselves in war zones, civilian and military. Let, our, let us offer to those in Gaza, in Israel, in Ukraine, in Yemen, in Sudan, across the world, the gift of our attention. So for a minute, we'll hold them in our attention and our care. May all those in harm's way be well. And may all those who make decisions in times of war be guided by wisdom and respect for human life. Brian Dorries is the founder of a public health project called Theater of War Productions. I first heard about Dorries and Theater of War during the pandemic in an interview with Krista Tippett. In her preamble to the podcast episode, Tippett sums up the project. She says, The adventure of theater of war began in 2008, at first bringing Greek tragedies into midi modern amphitheaters where trauma is present. Military bases and hospitals, prisons, even Guantanamo Bay. It expands it out from there, offering Sophocles and Shakespeare and the Book of Job as crucibles for dwelling and moving forward with the particular dramas of our time, from caregiving and addiction and partner violence to the hidden wounds of war and open political fracture. She adds, with this project, 
Stories is activating an old alchemy for our young century. Ancient stories and texts that have stood the test of time can be portals to honest and dignified grappling with present wounds and longings and callings. This work is an embodiment of the good Greek word catharsis, releasing both insight and emotions that have had no place to go and creating an energizing relief. Brian Dorries was an enthusiastic student of the classics, but he says his appreciation for ancient texts grew after he had a personal experience of trauma. His girlfriend of many years had cystic fibrosis. They were both young, and she was suffering mightily. She was in a lot of pain. He was her caretaker until death, a role he inhabited imperfectly, but with great love. In the process, he failed and he failed her in ways that are familiar to anyone who has cared for another. Failures of compassion, failures of skill, failures of patience. He was ashamed about these failures, even as people around him were lifting him up as if he were a saint. It was a kind of cognitive dissonance that left him with nowhere to turn for real help. Beyond that, the daily call to witness the suffering of his beloved was its own trauma. After his girlfriend's death, Doris was desperate to talk about her and what they had been through, but no one wanted to talk about it. They recoiled from the topics that were on his mind and heart. Doris says that the work he has done ever since, including his work at Theater of War, has been about creating the conditions where people will talk about it. We practice peace by facing hard truths together, by accompanying one another at the outer reaches of sorrow and pain. Classic texts like the Odyssey connect to contemporary audiences across the millennia in part because they include extremities of triumph and suffering. In the 5th century BCE, when many of these stories were written, Greece went through nearly 80 years of war. Doris says, these stories are not simply entertainment, but a technology that arose from a need for the collective witness of human suffering. They were public offerings to help make sense of incomprehensible realities. In many ways, theater of war productions are like other plays and often include well-known actors. But the magic happens after the play, when the audience reflects on the messages and meanings of what they have just heard. The audience is often a group of people connected by common experience, veterans sometimes, or medical professionals during the pandemic, or residents of Ferguson after the killing of George Floyd. After the play, Doris asks questions and the audience responds. The theater becomes an amphitheater, a Greek word that means a place for seeing in both directions. After one performance of Sophocles' Ajax on a military base in Germany, Dory starts a conversation with the audience as he does. This is what happens in his telling. He says, well, why did Sophocles write this play about this warrior that takes his own life, Ajax, after losing his best friend in battle and being betrayed by his own commanding officers? 
He says this guy shot out from the back of the room and says, I think he wrote the play to boost morale. Morale boosting? Well, what's morale boosting about watching a great warrior lose his best friend in battle and ultimately, against the pleading of his family, take his own? He says, before I could finish asking the question, the young man shot back, because it's the truth. And then he said, and we're all sitting here, shoulder to shoulder, acknowledging it. And then he said, and it's not being whitewashed. And somehow, that honesty brings hope, relief, and even joy. Every minister in formation does something called clinical pastoral education, or CPE. It's basically a chaplaincy internship, usually at a hospital or a prison. I did my, my CPE at the San Francisco VA. One Sunday, I went into the room of a veteran who was hospitalized for I'm not sure what. He was living on the street at the time when he wasn't in the hospital and was struggling with addiction. I remember that he was tiny in his hospital bed. There must have been a window in the room because there is sunlight in my recollection of this visit. We talked about his life and experiences, including his experiences of church. He wasn't allowed back at the church of his youth for reasons he didn't share, but I used to sing, he said, I could tear it up. Can you sing something for me? He looked at me, and then he sang, his eye is on the sparrow in the most beautiful, clear voice. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Time stopped. I was suddenly immersed in an expansive, intimate moment of grace, struck dumb. That voice and that shrunken body, the sunlight slanting across the bed and me. We were both altered by it, moved by the beauty of what we had experienced together. We practice peace by showing up and participating in one another's healing. We practice peace by bearing witness to what is whole and unbroken in one another's spirits against all odds. Just half an hour ago, we did an embodied meditation, a prayer inviting peace in our bellies, in our hearts, peace in our words, and in our minds. This is the daily practice that fuels peace in our relationships, in our neighborhoods and in our towns in our nation and between nations. Just last week, Chris participated in a vigil with a local rabbi, Jonathan Krauss, and a local imam, Mo Khan. In the context of extraordinary pain and strife, extreme violence and death, they showed up in community, as did some of you. They shared and approved their prayers in advance, tense and tender preparation rooted in faith and commitment. Rabbi Krauss offered this prayer. 
May the one who makes peace in the high heavens make peace for us, for all Israel and all who inhabit the earth. Imam Khan offered this. O oh Allah, you are peace, and from you comes peace. Grant us peace and guide us toward peace. Grant us the wisdom to see that which is right as right, and make us of those who embrace, us, embrace it. And grant us the wisdom to see that which is wrong as wrong, and make us of those who stay away from it. O oh Allah, make us of those who always seek peace. May it be so, and may we, may all of us, be instruments of peace, with the wisdom to embrace right and stay away from wrong, pausing in the midst of daily life to remember those in harm's way, staying in relationship and facing hard truths together, participating in one another's healing and bearing witness to one another's wholeness, supporting veterans when they return from war, and daring, daring to trust as an act of imagination and faith. Happy Veterans Day, Happy Armistice Day, and Amen. <laughs>